Welcome back to How I Deal, where we examine a single pass-close deal, how it played out that way, and provide some sales tips along the way. My name is Taylor Dollum, full cycle account executive, now full-time content guy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Junior Latte, the quarter buzzer beater here at Pickle. June, what's up, man? Oh, it is episode 42. It is the last month of the quarter. Time for those buzzer beaters. Hopefully something, and I know something will, but from this conversation today can help you close out the quarter strong. Absolutely. A quick explainer for those maybe who haven't listened in a while or first time listening. Welcome. Every conversation, like we said at the top, we chat through from start to finish leaving out all names and places, trying to keep it anonymized, but allowing us to dive super deep and really dig into how this deal happened and what the outcome was and how we got there. But all the way from your CRM, in particular Salesforce in this conversation, to getting either that signature or in this case, losing that deal or really understanding what happened and why it went wrong. But we examine every aspect of it and really dig deep. Today, we've got Justin Johnson joining us. He's the CRO at Bitgrid. He's been in sales for 12 plus years. Honestly, buckle up because this deal is going to be crazy. Also, if Fitgrid sounds familiar, it's because we had Leslie close on for episode 17. I actually reached out to Justin and he introed me to her. So it's his own fault for taking this long to get here, but this episode is going to be amazing. Justin, tell us an interesting fact. And then, of course, the problems that BitGrid solved. Yeah. First and foremost, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to dig in and I'll hopefully help teach some folks from my mistakes. Fun fact about me is my vocal cords don't work. And the sound that you hear is actually coming from a scar tissue. So, fun fact for you. And then I would say, BitGrid, what we do is we help fitness studios build better relationships with their members to help impact the bottom line for the business, keep them around longer. Love it. Super punchy, straight to the point. Justin, what deal are you walking us through today? This is a mega deal that went sideways on me, honestly, so people can learn from my failures. As selling into the Fortune 500, uh, it was a REIT, real estate investment trust, specifically malls in this case. And it was a doozy. And when I say mega deal, yeah, this was had the potential to be eight figures at one point. So I'm excited to to dig into it because this was a digital, true digital transformation. And I learned a lot from this thing. So. And I guess, Justin, when you say, and maybe for other listeners, like digital transfer, transformation, a little buzzwordy, right? I guess how specifically, what are the problems you're solving in that type of a deal? I mean, this really touched most aspects of the business. And when I talk about most aspects, I talk about you know, how they market to people, consumers in their malls and outside of their malls, how they lease up their locations, how IT manages a tech stack, how they can leverage data to make better decisions on what are good leases and just help provide greater visibility into the business. This really touched everything in the business, which made this extremely complex, extremely fun, but it was a doozy to, to work. A mega deal that goes sideways. Let's dive into it. Tell us how you found out about this company. And then the research is always of interest. This deal is so big. I'm like, the research here has to be endless. But walk us through some of that stuff. 
Yeah, in traditional fashion, as an AE at Salesforce, the way I found out about this deal is they carved it into my patch and they said, good luck. And this was a current customer, but hasn't spent anything in the last couple of years. So they're like, hey, give it to you, have at it, see what you can make of it. That's how I found out about it. When it came to researching these types of companies, do a couple of different things. When they're a current customer, definitely want to understand their history with the company. What projects have we worked on, not worked on? How's the health of their account? Going into their malls and putting myself in their customer's shoes, trying to wrap my head around that, listening to their earnings calls, looking at those types of things to help get a point of view. Those are all things that I looked at to try to get an initial perspective before I really started working with the account. Maybe historical perspective-wise, Justin, this was happening, like like you said, maybe 2018, 2019, the height of Amazon online shopping. Maybe give us some perspective and maybe your research pulled some of this stuff up, but like, what did it look like at that time? What was the climate you were working with in terms of prospects there? Yeah, this is a great question. This is really the peak of fear in terms of malls where they were quickly realizing because Amazon was so dominant at the time and just only getting worse by the day that they needed to provide more than just a place for people to shop. They needed to really overhaul their entire experience. And so they're very fearful. So much, in fact, that they referred to Amazon as the Death Star. (laughs) So it was was fun because that really helped them open their eyes and do something into this being a digital transformation versus just one project for one of the teams in the business. And you're working with like you said, the mall in general, not the individual stores that lease those spaces. Maybe yeah. some listeners that there's two separate businesses there. One attracts businesses and leases the other. I think of like when I was a kid walking past Hollister and smelling the perfume that, that banks yeah. out of there. Both are, we'll cover it. Both are very separate entities, but curious prospecting wise, they're a current customer. They have been using Salesforce and various things in that suite, but when you go, when you say prospecting, maybe it's a little different, but it's that understanding of where is the opportunity to expand and maybe touch a little bit on, on how you went about getting your foot in the door when it's already inside the house, so to speak. Yeah. When we think about inheriting a current customer, it's not uncommon when you inherit a customer at Salesforce that there's fires that you need to put out. And I saw an incredible amount of potential in this account, but I also saw the history of reps coming in time and time again and swinging and missing. So I knew I had to take a different approach. So I basically turned into a CSM for three to six months, got in there with them, got on site. You started to build relationships, started to build trust, earn some credibility so that when the time came to start to think about other projects, I already had some trust built up with them. So that was really the first thing that I did once I got in the door. I really wasn't selling at all. I was just giving value for them to build up the trust. So that's what I did first. And that makes a lot of sense, not just for this deal, but pretty much any account executive. Right? If you're given a list of accounts and some of those are customers, like build the relationship first. Don't go in for the ask. Right. Like I imagine if you jumped in and you're like, hey, it's been a few years since you've done anything with Salesforce. What's the opportunity here? They'd be like, no, we're not talking to you. We have 
other Definitely. priorities. Whereas you jump in, you build a relationship. It makes it really nice in the sense of when a project does come up, they think of you first as yeah. compared to using someone else for something that Salesforce can do and can do really well. As you were doing that, were there some aspects that came about, one-off conversations that were really impactful? Not that we need to sell salespeople on this idea, but I think the hesitancy as an account executive is my job is to close business. I'm, now you're telling me to act as a CS for a month, for two months, in your case, yeah. much longer, mega deal. Uh, but that sell me on that a little bit. The first thing I'll tell you is you're dead wrong. And when you think when, and I'll tell any rep that says this, that they're dead wrong when they think their job is to close business because that's not your job. Your job is to help businesses. Like that's what you do. So if that's what it takes to help a business, that's what you got to do. And you got to roll up your sleeves, got to get your hands dirty and you got to think long game here. Every situation is going to be a little different. If you're in a high velocity sale, managing hundreds of accounts, you don't have enough runway. But this is something that I teach reps that are working high velocity deals is if there's an opportunity to give them a win, as soon as possible, do that. Because that puts some trust in the piggy bank. So I cannot stress how far this goes to building relationships. And it doesn't have to be with a prospect or with a customer. It could be a prospect, right? If you have industry insights, things that you can give them, help them get a better grasp of the macroeconomics at play, that helps establish you as a trusted advisor, right? So doing that quickly, goes a long way to establish credibility, establish trust. But the overarching thing is I wholeheartedly challenge the concept of a rep's job is to close deals. It's not what we're here to do. This isn't a hot take podcast, but man, the way you stated that, I loved it. Love of fire. You just answered it like as an ultimatum. Let's transition into the discovery. You've been there. You've been doing some favors, acting as CS. Uh, the opportunity arises to have an expansion type conversation, discovery in a mega deal. I don't know what that means, so teach us. Discovery in a mega deal is a beast because this was really touching every department. The amount of discovery that we were doing, we were doing was endless. I was on site two days a week, all day on this one account for at least a year, just building trust, starting to learn more about the business, find the windows, add value to it. So the discovery was countless. What made this extra interesting and there was a big wrench in this is Mark Benioff was involved in this deal. And for those people that don't know, Mark Benioff, CEO of Salesforce, when he gets involved, he's a God and everyone's like, whoa, Mark's involved. So all hands are on deck for this thing and everyone wants to get their hands in it. So that was an interesting challenge. I'm happy to chat about but when we think about what we're doing, it's interviewing stakeholders, interviewing leasing reps. How do they go about their day-to-day? -day? All you to marketing, all the way down to going on site and interviewing janitors in their malls, asking them about their day in the life and the problems that they're solving. So we really had to know their business as good and even better than they did. That's how much discovery we needed to do if we were going to have a shot at closing the potential that was there. So it was big. Now, the big problem that we were trying to solve, because there's multiple problems we were layered into this, but our real tip of the spear was foot traffic. So if we can tie it back to foot traffic, that's what really got them excited because that's what they were really starting to see drop. 
So that's where our North Star to help drive and tie all these different projects together. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about a little earlier, where these are two separate business like setups, right? So like mall ops and the mall in general is owned by a company. And then all the legacies are your Hollisters, your journeys, your places like that, Auntie Anne's. So they don't care as much about foot traffic or some do, but they could build an online store and sell that way. But like you said, the biggest fear for the client you're working with is the owner of the mall. And that's what I'm curious about is when you say you're interviewing all of these people, did you schedule that stuff? Like janitors, did you get on their calendar? Did you just walk up to people? Like, <laughs> like what, how did you have these countless meetings? What yeah. did that look like? <laughs> yeah, it was really all of the above. We threw the kitchen sink at this thing. So you because we had access all the way up to the CEO of this company and all their C-suite, they were helping to open doors. So this was a true digital transformation project. So that helped open a lot of doors to scheduling meetings. But we knew that if we were really going to help challenge their perspective and really make this happen, we needed to find things that they weren't even bringing to us. So that's where us going rogue, finding employees in the mall and talking to them really went a long way to help us really understand the nuances because you know, there was many times where we would learn something uh, by shadowing a leasing rep in a mall that was different than what we're hearing at corporate. So we'd bring it back to corporate. And again, this goes back to adding value, even if you're not closing a deal. Like These are things that we help do to help strengthen our relationships with the stakeholders we're working with and then just really help develop our point of view. My last question like on this topic, right? you're spending a lot of time there. So yeah. did you at the end of the day just go like, crazy sick of like Charlie's cheesesteaks and like these random restaurants in the food court. Like you're it's, eating that food all the time. It's a great question. I would say, yes, got a little sick of that from being in the mall <laughs> all the time, but we, well, we, but also right next to corporate, there was this little breakfast spot that I started to learn all the servers names and they all recognized us because we were there so much. So they, that, that wasn't bad. That was a good spot. But yeah, I can only have so much Auntie Anne's before I <laughs> When the going. food vendors start recognizing you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you again? I'm like, ah. Oh. Justin, when I, we could dive about or dive into this as well and, and a future question. But I am curious, surface level, first time you hear Mark is getting involved, like, how did that happen? Did you get an email from like your <laughs> fifth ma- manager up, your fifth boss or like, where did that come into play and what was your first interaction yeah. or where you're at in a deal? Yeah, it's great. I mean, and to give some context of like how this came to be, when I was working the account, in my quarter was just about a million bucks. I was forecasting about a quarter million there because there was some meat that I was working on for the deal and got a little lucky. And to be honest, I mean, better be lucky than good sometimes. And Benioff was at a CEO dinner with their CEO. So on a Sunday night, I remember sitting on the couch, watching TV with my wife, and I get an email from Benioff and I go to her. I'm like, Benioff just emailed me. And she's like, yeah, sure he did. I'm like, no, no, no. Like Benioff just emailed me. And he was CC'd a couple of folks on there. And then it was really off to the races. He basically said, hey, had dinner with this guy, go get it, which is essentially the message that was sent to us. 
So 20 minutes later, it was like 11 o'clock at night on a Sunday. I'm on the phone with the head of innovation at Salesforce uh, trying to talk strategy on this thing. So it's pretty crazy how it all started, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it all started at a dinner. Yeah, it's just fascinating because like you said, he's viewed as this deity, right? This like all, all-knowing all power. I don't know. I wouldn't say Wizard of Oz, but it's that concept, right? Like like what's behind the curtain? And that's, that's how it works in these mega deals. It seems like it's just... I'll happen around another person or had a dinner with this person, hit them up. And it's, it can be that small. And I'm just, I'm always fascinated by the behind the scenes there. I guess you've had these interviews, you're talking with janitors all the way up to marketing people, but like at a certain point you're putting together recommendations, what we can do, maybe give me like the timeline of like how all those meetings happen. And then let's dive into the physical, either demo you put out there However, whatever format you did, but would love to hear how you kept each aspect personalized for every department or every stakeholder. Yeah. So I worked this account for two years and it wasn't until about six to nine months in a relationship that this mega deal really started to become an option. Before that, I was still, like I said, being a CSM, building relationships, starting to identify the opportunities there. So I was working the mega deal for about nine months after that became real. So now we're about 18 months into my relationship with them. When we really started, that's when we gave our, our readouts of what we learned from all of our discovery, came in with a point of view, because we basically said, okay, if we present this thing mid-year, end of fiscal is Jan 31, we got six months to, to work through this after that. And that was kind of how we thought about it to give ourselves enough runway to bring a deal across the finish line. So were there any major pieces like through the demo? Like I imagine, I don't know, when I think about my platform, right? There's like a few things that can really push the envelope. But here there's so, you're touching so many pieces is more about providing a holistic view, right? Who do you provide the holistic view to that then can move the needle for you? Yeah. So it was really a a stacking process, the way I like to think about it. In terms of the demos, the C-suite never got a demo. They didn't. Who got the demos were the folks that rolled up to the C-suite because we needed them to say, yes, I support this. When the CEO says, hey, what do you think? You saw how this thing works. Will it deliver? Right. So we worked our way and fleshed out the demos for the individual departments. And these were extremely, this, everything was custom all the way down to being able to demo. If you're walking past the gap, getting a notification on your phone for a promotion because you're within 20 feet of the front store, front door of the store to the janitor to know the punch list for the day, things they have to do to better manage that and their leadership to have oversight there for leasing reps to better prioritize which leases are coming up for expiration, which one's trying to extend, which one's not to extend to leadership using artificial intelligence to mine thousands and thousands of leases and data points to identify, hey, what are good deals for us? What are good leases for us? What are bad leases for us? And then tying all that into the holistic view of if this is how we're going to help you run a more, more profitable business. Right. And that was how we thought about it, like demo to the, you know, the decision makers for each individual department, get their buy-in in advance 
of this big presentation that we built. There was months of discovery to get ready for so that in that meeting and right after that meeting, when they're meeting internally, they're going around saying, Hey, is everyone supportive of this? Because if we didn't have unanimous support, it wasn't going to get, wasn't going to get done in our time frame that we were trying to do. So that's kind of how we approached it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's like piece by piece, department by department, collecting like thumbs ups from everybody, you know, yeah. then you find out, Hey, maybe he's not on board. All right. Well, let's take him over to Charlie's, get some, get him some cheesesteaks, try to pamper him a little bit, get, but you're getting like 50 collective thumbs up to then present up and say, Hey, everyone's on board. Can we move forward yeah. with this? Can you just approve, approve the budget so we can move forward? It's just a wild, crazy concept. So we know this is a mega deal that goes sideways. Where do some of these barriers start to come into play? Yeah. And you brought up something just a second ago I want to hit on because you talked about approving the budget. What made this unique is there was no budget for this coming into this. So they didn't set aside, oh, here's $15 million for digital transformation, right? That's not how this works. With it, when you're doing a true digital transformation, you are challenging a key narrative that they have to help them say, oh, we need to find that 15 million to allocate this towards this initiative, right? So that was what we were battling and needed everyone to be unanimously, not only saying yes, giving a thumbs up, but saying, hell yes, because that was really the only way that every different leader was going to say, okay, here's part of my budget that I'm going to give up to reallocate towards this. So that was an additional challenge that we have. Barriers that we have is, is really three. There's one that was internal at Salesforce, one that was external with the customer, and third was a personal one for me. Internally, the beauty of having Mark Benioff involved in a deal is you get the A-team. You get all the resources you need to help you bring this deal across the finish line. That's the good. The bad is a lot of people want to have their hands in the deal without adding any value because if this deal ends up closing, they want to be attached to it. So what I had to realize is I needed to set clear boundaries with people that are way above my pay grade of when I need them, where I need them, and when I don't need them. So it really was learning how to be a project manager like never before. So that was an internal challenge that I had. Uh, it was a great learning lesson for me because at some point there was over 20 stakeholders internally working this deal. Externally, this is where one of the critical mistakes that I made is we learned that there was a lot of politics at play yeah, with the executive team of this account. And where I dropped the ball on this is I didn't realize that soon enough. And I didn't call that out soon enough that had a big negative impact on the deal. So that's the, the external one at play. And then I would say on the personal level, in the height of us wrapping up discovery, doing the, these presentations, coming at the point of view, just in the middle of the heart of this deal, I had a very unexpected death in my family. And that was really difficult for me to navigate being there with my family, being there with my loved ones, and also being there for my team and helping close this deal because I knew it was still 100% on me. So that was a, a challenge that I'd overcome personally with this. My first question is on the like working externally, like right, working with them. They've got some politics going on. We've talked a lot about like having a champion in a deal size this big. Is it 
have lots of champions? Is it like get a sweet seat, sweet champion? Does champion not apply now? I, I, that's my question is like wrapping my head around who over there is like going to drive this even further. Yeah. yeah. Great questions. So for us, the first thing that we did is we established an executive sponsor who was going to be basically our C-suite champion that will ultimately go to the CEO and say, yes, do this. So we did that early in the cycle and basically said, if you don't give us a an ex- a stakeholder at the executive table that's going to sponsor this initiative, we're not going to move forward because we knew how much work was going to go into this thing. So we did that early. And then when I think about the individual departments, then you're creating these micro champions throughout the business. So that's where, when I talk about hundreds of the hundreds of meetings that we had countless hours on site, right? It was constant champion building of different levels of the business, but that executive sponsor for this initiative was critical. And we had that early in the deal. To unpack the other two aspects, right? The You mentioned internally establishing boundaries and realizing I'm controlling the string or controlling this deal, assigning people where they need to go. But in a lot of AEs listening, I've probably run into this. A lot of people on the A team are probably a little higher than you on the rung, right? Like, yeah. how did you do that, right? I'm just, just an AE. Like, how do you tell this VP to like, Hey, you, you back off, do not join this meeting or do not chime in here. Or, and then maybe this ties into the follow-up on the personal side, the unfortunate situation with your family. Like now you got to go back and assign those people like, Hey, I'm unavailable. Like, no, can you take this? Like juggling those egos, but at the same time you remaining in control, but until the moment you're now it's outside of your control. How did you decide as well? There's a two-sided question there. Yeah. When I think about the internal stakeholders, people being way above my pay grade. So not my boss, not my boss's boss, not my boss's boss's boss, but even above him, right? I was, you know, multiple half a dozen layers below Benioff at least. And what I would say to any rep who's facing a similar situation where, you know, VPs are involved and trying to help is know that at the end of the day, if this deal doesn't happen, it's not the VP that this is ultimately on. Whoever the person owns this account in Salesforce, that was our CRM, obviously. I own the account in Salesforce. So this is on me. And I needed to do a massive mindset shift. And this was a mistake that I made is didn't recognize that early enough. And I let the big titles prevent me from calling out red flags in this deal that I knew were there. But because I had my SVP in these meetings and they insisted on being the one that spoke, I didn't jump on those openings like I could have. So you just have to shift the mindset and like, look, this is on me, extreme ownership, right? It's my job to make sure this deal gets across the finish line. And it's not just enough to delegate. You have to prescribe what you need each person to do. This is when you're on the call. This is when you're not on the call. When you're on the call, this is when I'm going to tee you up. This is when I'm going to take it back over. That's the level of detail you need to get to because you might be thinking, well, they're going to think I'm trying to take ownership. You're right. And they're going to respect you for it. They're going to see, okay, Justin's on the ball, right? He's running the show here. Got it. So that's actually a really good thing. So you got to get over the mental 
aspect. On the family thing, that was just tough. I had a great relationship with my RVP who we were working side by side in this thing. And he helped fill in for me for a little bit, but that was just tough. That was really tough to navigate that because it wasn't just the death. There was a bunch of things that unfolded in the coming months after, but it, there was no easy way to do it. I just had to figure, find a way. Yeah. It's nice that you had someone you could lean on to, but it's not like it made the burden of what was going on just like end. Good perspective there. And I'm just like getting maximum value from this conversation, honestly. Let's quickly recap the timeline of the deal. Walk us through some of the behind the scenes and how you managed all this information over two years. I mean, it let me, yeah, it was two years, hundreds of meetings, dozens of flights, a lot of hotel nights, racked up a lot of points. So that was one good thing from this thing. How we kept it organized was really simple, actually. Salesforce was our CRM. We ate our own dog food. And then Salesforce recently acquired, at the time, a company called Quip, which is essentially Google Docs that integrates with Salesforce. So that was always de-organized with everything internally. But it was, don't get me wrong, it was a beast to manage. But fortunately, we were pretty well organized internally on it. Yeah, the eternal dog food to the max on the Salesforce side of things. So when you, I feel like if you use anything else, you're on some kind of list. <laughs> yeah. Great. Massive deal here. Of course, we talked about it. It did not work out. But at the same time, like you said, that you learned a ton regardless of how much revenue you pulled in. I'm curious, you know, maybe what are three tips that you would hand to any AE listening today that maybe you double down on what you've been talking about or anything outside of this deal that they can utilize? Yeah. A couple of things that jump out to me is number one is understand that it's ultimately on you, right? It's not the other stakeholders internally, not the executives, right? You're the one that needs to really do the groundwork to make these things happen. If you're ever in one of these types of deals and you can't let the moment get too big for you, which leads into my second thing I would say to anyone is if you're establishing a deal and it doesn't have to be a mega deal, right? Not an eight figure deal like this was, but any deal, once it becomes real, or you think it's real, maybe it's not real, grab a peer and grab your manager, get into a room and objectively tear this thing apart. Ask the hard questions as fast as humanly possible to get all the skeletons out of the closet because they're there whether you like it or not. So it's on you. That's 100% your control to identify those red flags as fast as you can and call them out as fast as you can. Where I made the mistake is I knew the red flags, but I didn't call them out and address them as early as I can in the deal, which prevented us from getting the mega deal across the finish line. The last thing I would say is if you have the opportunity to work a big deal like this, something that might get you out of your comfort zone, really lean into it and embrace it. What really helps me through the whole process of working this deal was when it started, I went into it with a mindset of, I didn't really care if we closed a dollar there. I wanted to, of course, but I knew I was going to learn so much through the process because I was going to be working with people that just have more experience than me. They're more polished and they're going to force me to raise my game. So I knew I was going to learn a lot. So lean into that, embrace it. But there was times where I had to present to my RVP on a mock presentation then he would have me present again after he gave me feedback to the AVP. And then after he gave me feedback, I would present again to the SVP. 
all of that before one of hundreds of presentations that we gave. Right. So at the time, it can seem like this is just ridiculous, but it's ultimately for your own benefit if you embrace it and lean into it. And with this deal, yeah, we didn't close a mega deal, but you know, I think what's the old phrase, if you shoot for the moon and miss, you land in the stars. When I originally started working this account, I thought I'd close a quarter mil there. I ended up closing double that. So we still got a half million dollars out of the account. I still ended up at President's Club. So it still worked out, but we went big and went for it. So you know, have fun with it. Know that it's on you and call out the red flags as soon as you can. This was an awesome deal to walk through. So many takeaways. My favorite, honestly, being the establishing boundaries. Like I love the idea of telling someone like two, three tiers above me to like, hey, this is where you talk. This is where you don't. This is your position. This is where it's not because I'm power hungry, but I feel like that's the type of sale that a professional salesperson should be able to manage and get into. Justin, thanks so much for joining the podcast. This is for sure something that we're going to have to re-listen to. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Had a blast, guys. And just like that, another episode of How I Deal is in the books. Thanks, Justin, for joining us and laying down the hammer in terms of life lessons and sales lessons in general. But thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will see you next time.